Welcome to the New Thinking for a New World podcast, where we explore the most pressing issues that are challenging and changing our societies. We are looking for new thinking and new solutions wherever we can find them. Listen as host Alan Stoga, the Talberg Foundation's chairman, challenges his guests for analysis, ideas and actions. Together, we can help make our world at least a bit better. One of the unexpected consequences of the pandemic was the realization that global food supply chains are fragile and easily disrupted. Worldwide economic, social, and trade dislocations led to food shortages, distribution problems, hunger, and malnutrition. What should that tell us, not just about today, but about the underlying realities? In a world where climate change and rapid population growth are squeezing agricultural production and productivity, How can we produce enough food, enough protein, to meet humanity's growing needs and wants? What can technology do? Do we need to take the center point of the production process from the farm or the sea into the laboratory? My guest today has practical answers to those questions. Didier Tubia is co-founder and CEO of Ela Farms, a company based in Israel that grows steaks from cow cells. Think high tech meets the barbecue. Welcome, Didier. Hi, good to meet you, and uh, nice to be with you today. Let's start with the punchline. Why do you think that the traditional agricultural process, cow to steak to barbecue, needs to change? We see today um, the meat production, which uh, relies in uh, in very large part on uh, industrial uh, agricultural practices like uh, feedlots or um, factory farms, which are associated with um, uh, public health uh, question marks, um, which uh, might be related to either um, resistance to antibiotics or the development of um, different types of diseases, either for the animal itself, like African swine fever and avian flu, or zoonotic diseases, which might be transferred to, to humans. Uh, but we also see um, uh, more and more concerns um, among the wider um, consumer segments about the, the animal welfare um, um, considerations associated with the concentrated operations for animal farming. And last but not least, the global food ecosystem today is responsible for 26% of the greenhouse gas emissions. And, and, um, and 15 out of those 26% are related to livestock farming. And pro- producing meat is one of the most expensive value proposition in terms of uh, food, and not only um, as far as natural resources are concerned, like land and water, um, but also in terms of uh, greenhouse gases. Uh, today we have uh, actually, uh, we're using 1.7 uh, times the resources planet Earth planet Earth put at our disposal, and uh, we really needed to uh, change the way we produce our food if we want to preserve the planet for the future generations. So there's a lot of things wrong with the existing industrial-scale production of meat. Uh, What is it, how how does cultivated meat solve those problems? On the negative side, and what are the positives from your perspective of cultivated meat? Cultivated meat is about producing the same meat from the ground up by using the, the same cells which uh, compose the meat which uh, develops spontaneously within the body of a cow. Um, 
and reproducing the cells outside of the animal's body and arranging them in a way which reproduces the, the structure and the texture of the steak. So we're actually producing the, the meat directly from its building blocks and instead of uh, uh, waiting for two, three, sometimes four years or more uh, for, the, for the meat to, to form uh, within the, the animal's body, then uh, to slaughter the animal and harvest the meat from its, uh, from its carcass. Uh, so it's a new way to produce meat, which is much more efficient in terms of uh, resource uh, utilization. Uh, we use uh, between 92 and 98% less of uh, land, of water, and we emit 92% uh, less greenhouse uh, gases and carbon emissions. Um, but we also avoid the use of antibiotics, and uh, the meat grows in a closed system, meaning with no possibilities for contaminations like E. coli, Listeria, or others. And last but not least, we avoid all the animal welfare concerns associated with concentrated uh, operations for farming. The technology of growing uh, stem cells, of growing meat in vitro, is well established and well tested. And you've just described some of the advantages. What are the biggest impediments to production at scale? The, the technologies on which we rely have been originally developed for regenerative medicine, for medical applications, uh, with uh, uh, you know, different requirements in terms of the uh, functionality of the, of the products, in terms of cost, of uh, inputs, of uh, scale. And so we really need to reinvent the way uh, we can uh, produce um, uh, muscle tissues in our case, which, is, which are actually stakes at large scale and drop the cost down so that this product would be relevant in the, in the food uh, sector. So the, the, the challenges are primarily related to um, finding out the, the right uh, technologies which can be applicable to a large scale cultivation of meat at a cost uh, which would be uh, low enough in order for the product to be relevant in the, in the marketplace. If I understand what you just said, the technology to produce cultivated meat exists, but the technology to produce it efficiently at scale still requires further invention, further innovation. Is that the case? Yes, that's the case. There will be economies of scale with the cultivated meat, and the cost originally will be relatively expensive and will uh, go down as uh, we increase the production capabilities. Same as many other innovations, such as, I don't know, um, EVs or, or batteries for electric vehicles, uh, same as uh, solar panels, which uh, have been originally relatively expensive and are now competing with the fossil fuel, or even digital cameras, which were very expensive originally, and now we can find one in any smartphone. Cultivated meat will follow on the same path, but beyond scale, we also need to uh, innovate on the production platform itself. At Aleph Farms, we have developed five different modules and a unique uh, formulation for the growth medium, which is the feed to the cells. We directly feed the cells instead of feeding the animal, which then digests the feed and breaks down the, the, the nutrients so that they are brought to the cells by the blood. So we can of shortcut the, the feed. And, and one, of the, one of the challenges is to reproduce um, the same environment for the cells as seen within the, the animal's body. And we have achieved a very good outcome with that. We have developed our own processes for making the cells and the, the vision more efficient, for them to grow more efficiently. 
Uh, we have uh, developed our own uh, cultivator, which is the equipment in which the cells grow and to make uh, the technology suitable for uh, mass cultivation of steaks. So, so we, we also need a, a deep tech innovation, combination of scale and uh, innovation. It's impossible to predict. That's why it's fun to ask the next question. What is the timeline in your mind? When, when do you think those problems you've just identified will be solved? We see first products coming to the market um, as we speak. There has been a first um, regulatory approval for a cultivated meat product in Singapore in December last year, 2020. And, and there are companies working on uh, approvals in the US and Singapore in different parts of the world. I believe that within the course of the next couple of years, uh, we'll see five, six, seven products being launched. Those products will still be marketed at relatively small capacities. I believe it will take uh, three to five more years to really reach large-scale production and to reach a stage where cultivated meat becomes mainstream. And so to your question, I believe that uh, um, we start seeing uh, first products coming to market, uh, but at small scale. We don't expect um, cultivated meat to be available on each you know, supermarket or grocery store's uh, shelf and before 2025, 2028. What product actually has come to market in Singapore? Mm -hmm. Many companies are going for simple products and kind of low-hanging fruits, like uh, just cultivating cells and then harvesting them from the, the cultivator and, and blending those cells with other ingredients to make a, a processed food product. And at Alphonse, we actually go for a different strategy. We walk a different path. We focus on quality meat and quality food, whether the first company which has a successfully grown a steak, a thin cut beef steak at the end of 2018, and almost two years ago, which is a first platform. We have a since then developed into a commercial product, which we were in the process of transferring to production. And so we'll see different types of products. The first products commercialized will hopefully be, be simpler. The, the reason why Alephant is focusing on quality meat is because in our views, meat is not just a protein. Meat is, a, is an experience. And meat um, relies on the three dimensions of quality, the, the sensory quality, of course, meaning taste, flavor, texture, but also the, the culinary quality, how it cooks, uh, which is a big limitation of plant-based uh, meat analogs, for instance. And last but not least, nutritional quality. And what we do at Elephant is really to, to look at our meat as, a, as an experience, uh, an emotional product, and uh, we really want to make sure that uh, uh, we deliver what the meat really means for the, for the consumers. That will be key and in, in our mind for uh, driving long-term consumer acceptance. One of the issues floating around the sector is cell line engineering. That is to say, the possibility of genetic engineering to make a better product, similar to what's happened in uh, the production of corn or of wheat or of soybeans, where you've had genetic engineering to produce products that are more resistant or strains that are more resistant to disease, more resistance to pests. How do you think about cell line engineering in your space? There are different uh, approaches we've seen implemented in, the, in this emerging industry so far. Some companies are um, genetically engineering their cells um, to get quicker to the, to the scale they need. 
uh, and to make the sales more suitable for uh, for getting to the market uh, in a shorter amount of time are modifying the sales through what is called immortalization. Uh, what we decided to, to do, what I found, is really to stick to the natural sales, not to modify the sales. Even through this path is more challenging and requires more resources and, and probably more time to get to market. We expect having the first product released in a, in a soft launch toward the end of next year, end of 2022. Uh, but again, we believe that uh, at the end of the day, what's more important than time to market is uh, time to acceptance. We have to make sure that we deliver a product which uh, would meet the consumer expectations. And based on many market surveys we have performed in, in the US, but also in the UK, in France, Germany, Japan, uh, Brazil, we know that uh, being non-genetically engineered will be important for uh, driving acceptance. The distinction between genetically modified food and non-genetically modified food is an important one in terms of consumer acceptance. More broadly, I've seen a lot of polls that suggest people are, in fact, open to cultivated meat. I'm not sure they've quite thought through yet the distinction between genetically, non-genetically modified, uh, but a bit like the introduction of the Impossible Burger at the fast food chains, I would imagine that people will consume good quality when you produce it, regardless of how you produce it. Is that a fair assumption? We do see a huge difference in expected acceptance between uh, genetically engineered meat and non-genetically engineered meat, especially in Europe, um, including in the UK. In France, for instance, the acceptance for um, uh, GMO or genetically engineered meat is uh, cultivated meat would be only 27%, while non-genetically engineered meat would uh, benefit from uh, 89% acceptance. So huge difference. It's true that in the U.S., um, the awareness or the concerns about genetic engineering are not that that prominent um, as in Europe. Um, so again, I think it, at the end of the day, it will be very much cultural. Um, on the consumer side, there will also be some differences on the regulatory uh, uh, path uh, side. For instance, in the U.S., the USDA and FDA, to the best of our knowledge, are not really making... Um, big deal of uh, genetic engineering. In Europe, for instance, um, marketing a genetically engineered cultivated meat would require a completely different regulatory path. And in many other countries, including in Asia, there would be also uh, significant uh, differences in the resources required to take those products to the market. And so we believe it's, a, it's an advantage. And th there is, of course, room in the market for other types of approaches um, than we are implementing. Uh, but we believe it's a, a strong differentiator. You are one of the pioneers of a new space, and I suspect that the existing regulatory framework in the major industrial countries is not really ready for what you guys are doing. What are the regulatory challenges? To what extent do you need to educate the regulators? Actually, in the U.S., the USDA and FDA, especially the FDA, have been very proactive, you know, reaching out to the industry with the public meetings as early as uh, 2018 and, you know, calling for uh, all the, the stakeholders to come and uh, share their thoughts, their plans. And they've been very keen on learning this new approach for producing meat. 
and we've seen similar approaches in other countries like uh, Singapore, for instance, in Asia, which has been the first country to clear cultivated meat for marketing last year. And so it really depends on the on the on the countries and the jurisdictions. In Europe, for instance, there is no framework for pre-submission meetings, meaning that the the EFSA, which is uh, responsible for regulating uh, novel foods in Europe, uh, can't really um, reach out to the to the companies, and companies can't really reach out to them <laughs> prior to actual uh, to the actual submission of the the application. So it makes the um, education process a bit more challenging. Uh, but overall, I think that the regulatory authorities are very keen on learning um, about it because cultivated meat, in, in our views at least, can bring a lot of benefits uh, in terms of uh, traceability. Uh, we, we do see the meat industry investing a lot today in improving the, the transparency of the supply chain. And cultivated meat is actually 100% transparent and traceable um, inherently. We can also avoid contaminations in meat and even through you know the very very large majority of the, the steaks we, we can purchase today are, are clean and still 22 percent of the americans dying every year from foodborne illnesses die from eating meat and that's why there are some strict requirements for um, cooking the meat at a relatively high temperature on top of that we can also reduce the use of antibiotics in animal farming drastically the usda has uh, banned the use of antibiotics for prophylactic uses since uh, 2017, if I'm not wrong. Uh, but still, uh, over 50% of the farms are using antibiotics in, in the uh, farming process in, in the US. And this message usage of antibiotics is one of the key drivers for the development of uh, resistances, which then cause a significant public health issue on the, on the human side. Uh, so for all those reasons, I believe uh, the regulatory agencies do see the, the benefits and are interested to see uh, more production systems uh, available in the, in the ecosystem. If you feel that the world lacks global leaders, please help support the Talberg Foundation programs. Individual donations are being accepted at talbergfoundation.org donate. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org slash donate. As this industry, as your work continues to evolve, what do you imagine the global supply chain is going to look like? Is this locally produced, locally distributed? Is this locally produced, globally distributed? First, um, I believe that we will see the emergence of uh, cultivated meat as a new category of meat. Same as we have uh, white wine and uh, red wine, which are two different types of wines, which are coexisting in the market and share the same basic characteristics of, of uh, being wine, but still have a, a slightly different attributes and, and value propositions. We believe that we'll have two categories of meat, uh, conventional meat harvested from uh, the carcass of a slaughtered animal. And we do see this category reverting to more regenerative and extensive production processes and that there is a, a strong trend toward more organic grass-fed uh, beef on one hand but also a strong push from the, the big companies Cargill for instance has uh, committed to revert 10 million acres to regenerative farming in the US by 2030. PepsiCo 7 million acres in Europe for instance the European Commission is calling for increasing the organic food production from 7 to 20 percent of the total food produced every year. 
And so there is a strong push toward uh, regenerative agriculture. And in parallel, we do see cultivated meat as a better alternative to industrial farming, which represents today 70% of the global meat production. And so we see cultivated meat and being the mainstream product and conventional meat being more kind of meat for special occasions. And cultivated meat will bring specific values, not only in terms of uh, sustainability, animal welfare, or public health. It can also bring uh, other benefits in terms of uh, customization and tailorization of standardization of the meat for the, for the food service and personalized nutrition. It can really bring a lot of uh, unique values which a conventional meat uh, can't. So they will not necessarily be interchangeable. That's why we are talking about two different categories. And cultivated meat, in our views, has a big um, difference, is showing a big difference with the conventional meat production is that we can produce meat anytime and anywhere. Cultivated meat does not rely on the availability of local natural resources, such as land and water, and can also be produced under any climate. And today, the beef production and meat in general relies a lot on imports and remote production. And there are some parts of the world which are producing excess of meat, some parts which are importing meat. And for instance, China has imported 90% of its beef, Japan 65%, Singapore 100%. And we believe that cultivated meat can provide a great benefit in terms of food security, producing the meat locally with a, the short supply chain, resistant to, to crisis and much more resilient but also resistant to climate change and while empowering the local communities and keeping the value creation within the community and, and providing the right amount of nutrition and quality food to the, to the people who need it when they need it. The big vision of Al Farms is to provide high quality nutrition for anyone, anytime and anywhere. You're also, I know, thinking about producing meat in space for space travel. Can you talk a little bit about your vision and why Aleph is thinking not just about the planet Earth, but about other planets? Yes, uh, we do see our space program named Aleph Zero as a kind of Formula One team, same as car manufacturers would have a Formula One team where they would um, test and uh, develop new technologies, new materials for the, you know, to, to be validated in the, in the toughest environments. And then once validated, would uh, uh, transfer them into the day-to-day car. For us, um, space is a way to push forward our vision for this unconditional and secure access to high-quality nutrition for anyone, anytime, and anywhere. In space, you have uh, the scarcest possible environment. You have virtually zero natural resources. Um, you, you need to implement uh, uh, circular production systems and, and recycling everything. And from our standpoint, once we'll be able to produce meat on the moon, we'll be able to produce meat in the center of the Sahara or in the Antarctic, meaning anytime, anywhere. And that's really um, part of our vision for, for Aleph Farms. This um, focus on food security is not only important for making sure that uh, we tackle the malnutrition issue and fix the, the global food system. Today, the food system is not built for feeding the people. I believe it's clear for you. <laughs> I mean, the, the facts show that we throw away 30% of the food we produce annually on the global basis, while close to 900 million people don't have enough food. 
so it clearly shows that the, the, the food system is not intended to, to feed the people. It's intended uh, to uh, optimize production and profit. We need to fix this uh, global food system with a decentralized production close to the consumer, uh, food produced when and where produced, uh, reducing waste, and, and make sure that, uh, that we, can, we can fix that. But beyond that, the fixing the food system has also a great impact on, um, on social equality and on um, global stability. The food insecurity is one of the primary drivers for political tensions, uh, water and food. Climate change will accentuate those uh, tensions. And if we don't, uh, if we don't uh, uh, fix the, the food system and make it resilient to climate change and independent local resources, we will face more and more tensions and climate change migrations, uh, wars, which will primarily hurt the, the poorest and the, the weakest. And, and again, the, the richest will be preserved as in any war. And so we do see the food system as a cornerstone of uh, the long-term global um, stability. And that, that's an explanation on the re- reason why food security is that important for us. If we come back to, the, to space, beyond uh, pushing our, our vision forward, as you know today, um, the, the big limitation for colonies in space are related to the inability to produce food locally. You can't farm animals on, on, uh, on the moon because, of course, you don't have the, the food, the climate. You have little of water, of course, in, on the moon, but not much. And so if you'd like people to live on the moon or to live on Mars, you can't just rely on shipping uh, food uh, every time. It, it would be too expensive. We, we need to be able to develop new production systems for local production. And this, uh, the, the work Elephant is doing is uh, really uh, focusing on solving one of the big bottlenecks of uh, human colonies in the outer space. I love the idea that if you can produce meat on Mars, you can produce meat in the Sahara. And that certainly would go, as you said a moment ago, a long way towards actually getting food to the people that don't have food, as opposed to just one more alternative to those of us who live in industrial countries and in the main have, even if it's inefficient and ineffective, in the main have enough supply. Let me end with one question. If you had a magic wand and could wave it, what would you wish for to accelerate this process? How do you get all of this done faster, more efficiently, more effectively? I think that uh, the, the big challenge for a, a company like Elephant and the other companies in the space is to scale up quickly and being able to, to quickly build um, large and efficient uh, cultivation facilities um, in order to meet the demand on one hand, but also to drop the cost down. As I said, uh, there will be economies of scale at uh, play. And so if I, if I could have a mag- magical wand that would just you know, wish for you know ten uh, large-scale uh, production facilities being built instantly, instantly in our key markets, uh, and that would be great. <laughs> well, it, it's a magic wand. I think we should all hope that you find, because clearly, for all of the reasons you've described, success, not just as a business but as a concept, is important to mankind. So thank you very much for this conversation. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to the opportunity to meeting one of your stakes, uh, hopefully either 
in a restaurant soon, or I'll come to Israel and have a bite. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Bon appétit. And uh, wishing you, Alan, and the audience a good day. Thank you for joining us. Please rate our show on Apple Podcast and subscribe. Meanwhile, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can subscribe to our newsletter at talbergfoundation.org to learn more about our work. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org. Thank you, and we'll be back again next week for another episode of Talberg's New Thinking for a New World. This podcast was brought to you through the generous support of SNF, the Stavros Nyarkos Foundation. Mm-hmm.